All right, guys, I, I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors of Horizon Church, and I'm, I'm so glad to see each and every one of you here this morning. I love baptizing babies. Um, that, was, that was lots and lots of fun. Um, so thank you for letting us be a part of your journey um, for so long. We are grateful, 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 grateful for that. It takes me a minute <laughs> after that to get back in, into this mode. Um, I'm, let us, let's start with a prayer this morning and then we'll move into the message. God, we just thank you so much for the gift of a church. A place where those of us who follow you or long to follow you or don't even know what we believe about you yet, God, that somehow through your love and grace, you create a space here for us to hear and discover our purpose, to hear and discover the ways your love and forgiveness wants to change everything in our lives and in the world. And somehow, God, you use coffee and donuts and people around us who love us and small groups to, to just strengthen us to live in to the purpose that you've called us into in the world. And so in this moment, before we begin this message, I pray for bravery and courage for each and every person in these seats this morning. And I pray, God, you'll free them up from whatever it is that's keeping them all locked in today, that you will free them up to chase your purpose wildly and freely. Let us hear from you right now, God. Amen. So um, this is the second message in a new series that we just started last week, Work For It, Pray For It. It's a book on the, it's a study on the book of James. So James is a book in the uh, New Testament. It's five chapters long. It's very close to the end of the Bible. It's way over here. Um, James is presumed to be the brother of Jesus, and he helped to start new churches. And this is a letter that was written to early Christians who are starting to, like, it, it's clear that Jesus isn't going to come back and, like, take over the world tomorrow. So these folks are figuring out that this movement of Jesus actually requires a few things of them. It means that they're going to have to work for it because they've started fighting with each other some. They've started using their mouths not to build up one another or to call out things that need to be changed, but to just hurt each other. And James is like, hey, you got to watch what you say if you want to present Jesus, this movement of Jesus in any kind of way that's compelling. They, they were having a hard time. Like, things didn't go the way they wanted. They just got mad and, and pouted about it in life. And, and James is like, no. Like, in your trials, when things aren't perfect in your life, you should still look for and search for God's joy that is present even in the trials. Because in the midst of this, in the midst of whatever you're going through, God hasn't changed. God's still forming you into the person God wants you to be. So there's this, there's this sense to which all of these things don't come natural to us, right? It's natural for us to use our mouths in ways that don't always build up the people around us. It's natural for us to play favoritism. He has a whole couple paragraphs in here about the ways we only want to hang out with people who will get us further ahead in life. That's the natural thing that we do. And James is like, no, no, no. If you want to present a compelling Jesus that you are following, you've got to work for it. You've got to be intentional in the way you follow Jesus. And he reminds us of a few things that we need to do 
to be intentional in following Jesus. And the second, so the whole book is about working for it, how you can intentionally do things every single day to follow Jesus and present a compelling movement to people around you. So work for it, be intentional, do the thing that doesn't come natural. God's going to give you courage for it. But there's this sense to which because it's unnatural, we need some help, some really good help from God, right, to be able to live into it. So we work for this life, we're intentional with it, but we also pray for it. We, prayer is just a simple act where we acknowledge we're not in complete and total control of the world, and we offer up a prayer to God. God, I, I don't know what to do next. I have no control over the future, and I need you to guide my next step. God, the, the news is overwhelming, and, and, and my heart is broken for people who are hurting all over our world. Lift that up to God. It's just a simple acknowledgement. I can't fix the world, but I know someone who can. That's all that prayer is. And this is, the, this is the quintessential thing. It's exactly what James tells us to do. Work for it and pray for it. Work for it and pray for it. Do the unnatural, be intentional, and acknowledge that God can do what we cannot do on our own. This morning, as we start to think about how we can work for it, pray for it, I want to ask you a question. A real question. I'm going to give you just a second to think about it when I say it. Do you believe in a God who transforms? Transforms our circumstances, transforms the world, transforms our lives, transforms the world around us. Do you believe in a God who transforms things? Do you believe in a God who transforms things? If I ask people who walk alongside you, live alongside you all day, will they say that your actions show to them and to the world around us that you believe in a God who transforms? Do you believe in a God who transforms your life and the world? And do your actions show it? Do you believe in a God who transforms the world? And do your actions show it. I believe in the transformation of Tampa. I believe there are people who can take the buildings that currently exist in this community and transform them, renovate them, rebuild them into ways that build a real community, build real and vibrant work that happens within them and through them. I believe in the transformation of Tampa. I believe that God has something to offer to the schools in our communities for transformation. I believe that at the end of this school year at Sheremonte Elementary School, I believe that God can use the people in these very seats to make sure the story isn't about the COVID slide or, or not being able to have a normal school year in three years or only a C grade average for their school. I believe God will transform that story through the people sitting in these seats. And I believe we will have kids who innovatively and creatively learn new ways to do things in this post-COVID world. I believe in a God who is going to transform our schools and our city through people just like you. I believe that what's happening at the Gandhi Civic Center will and is transforming our community. 
I believe the mom who stands there and looks at me as I hand her a butternut squash, I believe her when she says, I could pay my rent because I knew I was coming here to get this. And I believe in Sean and the leaders there and the other volunteers there who show up every single week and have figured out that some of these folks need some mental help, mental health help. And so they've got mental health counselors on site. I believe in, 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 in the leaders and volunteers who've seen deeper problems and made sure there are people who can help them navigate the difficult housing situation here in Tampa. I believe in what's happening there can transform the lives of people because they're beginning to hear and know and believe God's purpose, that God is transforming and making things new. And here's the deal. I don't believe transformation just happens just happens through those two programs. I believe transformation will happen tomorrow morning when you go into work or you're a parent or you're a spouse or you do whatever else it is that God has called you and asked you to do. I believe God's transforming marriages. I believe God's transforming workplaces. I believe God's transforming your view of your job and your purpose in the world. I believe God's transforming the way we think about our money and the way we spend it. I believe in the transformation of Tampa. Do you believe in it? Do you believe our God can transform this city? Do you believe in it? Do your actions show it? The people that James wrote to, they said, we believe in a God who transforms. We believe in a God who will show us victory. We believe in a God who helps us to stand up in, in, in the face of fear, in the face of racism or hard things that we might have to speak out against. We believe in a God who loves us and gives us courage in the face of fear when things aren't easy, when our next step isn't clear. We believe in that. And James is like, do you? Do you? Because your actions don't show that kind of belief anymore. If you believe in this kind of transformation, I want you to listen to what James says. And before I share what James says, I need to share with you that I'm standing here right now because I experienced a God who transformed everything in my life. I was a college student. I had spent years of my life growing up in a church that just told me if I prayed hard enough and read the Bible enough, everything would be fine in my life. And I got to Chapel Hill, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and I began student teaching in Durham Public Schools. It was the fifth hardest and worst achieving school district in the nation at the time. I walked into a school full of kids whose parents were incarcerated and addicted, working eight jobs, raised by grandmas and aunts and grandparents and all kinds of other things. They didn't know where their food was going to come from. They didn't know where they were going to sleep at night. It was a mess, and it broke my heart. And every Thursday night, I'd walk into a Bible study, and we'd read the Bible, and they'd tell me if I just read my, read my Bible and prayed, everything would be fine. And it wasn't fine in the halls of that school in Durham. It wasn't fine. It wasn't fine. And I remember, I remember writing in my journal, God, I believe you can make things new, but I don't see it happening right now. I stopped going to church because I couldn't take it anymore. I could not just read the Bible and pray and it not have anything to do with what I was experiencing every single day in my life. I couldn't do it anymore. And so I just stopped going to church. I hadn't been to church in eight months or so, and I was placed in another student teaching position 
in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And this man comes up to me on the night of open house. I'm meeting all the parents and all the students. And he, he takes my hand and he shakes my hand. He looks me right in the face and he says, Miss Little, I, that was my name at the time, Miss Erica Little, Miss Little, if you need anything for your kids, I want you to call me. I'm the pastor of the church across the street from this school. And, and we don't, we're not going to do a backpack program or any of that stuff. We will if that's what you need. But if you have a kid who can't pay for their field trip, I need you to call me and let me know. If you have a kid who doesn't have clean clothes, I need you to call me and let me know. If you have a kid who doesn't have pencils or calculators or whatever it is they need to be successful, I need you to call me and let me know because our church wants to make sure that these kids have what they need to be successful. I was like, wow, a pastor who cares about their community, who wants things to be different here, who didn't even bother to invite me to your church, but who said, this is what our church is willing to do for you. I was like, this is kind of compelling. And I looked at him, I said, maybe you'll see me on Sunday and laugh, because I was like, there's no way I'm going to this church, but this is kind of cool, right? And so every morning for eight months, my mama, who played the piano at the church I grew up in, a little country church in North Carolina, she called me every Sunday morning for eight months when she knew I wasn't going to church, and she'd say, Erica, I've been praying for you. Do you want to go to church this morning? I'm like, Mom, it's 8 a.m. on Sunday. I'm a senior in college. Don't call me at 8 a.m. on Sunday. That's, like, that's not a way to encourage me to go to church. So this one Sunday, after I met the uh, pastor of the church, I, I called her and I said, I, she called me and I said, Mom, I'm about to dry my hair and I'm going to go to church this morning. And I, you know, finished drying my hair and the church was really close by. I could have walked, but I got in my car and I drove because I wanted to be able to drive away if I needed to and I didn't want people to see me leave. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of that church having no idea what I was going to experience. Was it going to be people who were judgmental, who didn't like me, who, was, who, who knew I hadn't been to church in eight months? Who, who knew what they were going to I had no idea what to expect. And I sat in the front seat of my car with my hands sweating and my face sweating. And I remember just being like, I told my mama I was going to church. i got to get out of this car and go into church because she's going to call me. And I can't tell my mama I didn't go into church. And I, walk, I got out of my car and I walked to the front steps and this 80-year-old woman named Ellen Kepley was standing on the front steps of the church and she took my hand and she said, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Do you have anybody to sit with? And I said, I don't. I'm all by myself. She's like, how about I sit down with you? And we walked and we sat down in a hard wooden pew at Orange United Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I kid y'all not, the announcement started and an older gentleman gets up and starts talking about a program called One Day with God, where the church hires mental health counselors and therapists to go in to the local jail and, and work with these men who are fathers and help them ask for forgiveness and reconciliation and get a plan for their lives when they get out of jail. And these same counselors work with their children separately and help them develop all these skills to be able to forgive and have conversations with their dads. And then for one day, they bring them together over crafts and games and food and all these things to be able to foster these conversations for these dads to ask for forgiveness and to offer a new way of living in the world, offer a new vision. And this guy's explaining this, and I'm like, I, like, I have cold chills right now, y'all. It was, it was exactly what I was longing for because I saw my students at Durham have a chance of hope and vision for the future. I was like, this church actually believes in transformation. It actually believes in transformation. They take a whole Saturday and volunteer with men and children who are incarcerated, and they do the best they can to offer a different way of living to them. It was the most profound thing I'd ever heard. And then Ellen Kepley, who was sitting beside me, 
leans over and whispers into my ear, that's my husband. He hasn't always been like that. He was actually the warden of the jail in 1962. And this program has allowed him to see people different. This program allowed him to see people different. And then she goes, Jesus is in the redeeming business, honey. And I knew that story, that sentence was for me. Jesus is in the business of transformation. Do you believe it? Have you experienced it in your life? Do the people around you know about that moment when you were certain Jesus could transform everything? Do the people around you know that's what you believe? Because this is what James tells to a church of people who've forgotten that that's what they believe. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Let me, let me share this. Let me say this in a different way. What good is it for you to believe in transformation if your actions don't show it? Can such faith save you or the world? What good is belief in transformation and new things that God can do without actions? Listen to this. Suppose a brother or sister, suppose another human is without clothes or any food. Now, it, now imagine they come up to you and say, and say to you, like, I don't have any food or clothes. If one of you says back to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Horizon Church, y'all better not be telling people who come up to you hungry and thirsty and, and naked, oh, I hope you'll stay warm and well fed, go in peace. In the same way, in the same way, faith by itself, just a belief in, in the need for God to transform things. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's a skeleton that has no skin. Faith without action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have action. Do you know what the world says, church? Do you know what the world says to us all the time, those of us who follow Jesus? They say all the time, you guys have faith. You sit in your churches and you read the Bible and you pray. You guys have faith, but we have action. We're changing things. Our story is different here, James says. Show me your faith without deeds. Show me your faith, your belief in transformation without action and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You will know what I believe by the way that I act. You believe that there is one God. You believe there's one God who's capable of transformation. That's good, he says, because even the demons believe that and they shudder. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Now this is what happens when I tell people your purpose is to make sure that other people know in a God who brings about transformation. You know what people tell me? God can't use me. You don't understand what I've been through, what I believe, what I've experienced, what I've done. You don't understand. I want you to hear this. In the same way, in the same way, okay, when, when you're saying that in your head right now, in the same way, not, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? Sorry for that. Y'all, parents, you can explain that later. Um, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in, off in a different direction. So Rahab, who's a prostitute, I, I was like, maybe, you know, anybody watch Tiger King during um, 
I should not have watched that, but I was, I, I had a very clear image of who Rahab would have reminded us of when I was in the midst of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. She, she has nothing to offer to the world. People are making fun of her and laughing at her, and God uses her. God uses her to welcome spies into her home and send them in the opposite direction of God's people, saving an entire group of people. If God can use somebody like Rahab or Carol Baskin, God can use you. God can use you. No excuses. No more excuses. She sent them off in a different direction and saved an entire group of people, not because of who she was or what she could offer to the world, but because she believed wholeheartedly in a God who could and would and did transform everything. Everything. Listen to this last sentence. The body without the spirit is dead. So without deeds, faith is dead. There's no use in us believing. There's no use in us believing in a God who can transform if we aren't going to do something about it. Now, I know some of you are sitting out here this morning and you're like, I heard your story about what happened in your life like 15 years ago. I've heard your story of what happened in that guy's life. I, heard, I hear James like calling this church to remember over 2,000 years ago what happened in their lives. I need to tell y'all that this work, God's transforming work, is happening right now. I, I'm not going to say a name, but on Wednesday night we were gathered in a Bible study at our house and there was a woman who said, I want to look at my job and the way I do it differently. And I realized that didn't mean working more. That meant showing up more at the Gandy Civic Center and giving more of my life to that. It, that didn't happen 2,000 years ago. That happened this week. She starts showing up and like going and, and picking up all the food she can from places and bringing it back to the grocery store because she knows that God is in the business of transforming and God wants to use her for that. And her purpose at work isn't feeding that purpose that God has for her in her life so much anymore. So she still works, but I'm not going to give 80 hours a week to that anymore. I want to give 80 hours a week to God, and that means I'm going to spend 40 hours a week doing my job, and I'm going to spend the other 40 that I was just trying to get ahead or, or whatever in life, I'm going to spend that making sure that God's purpose comes alive in me and in the world around me, because I believe in transformation. I've heard people quit their jobs. I've heard of people in this very room who began to, to invest in their marriage in different ways because they believed God could transform it. People in this very room began to do things different because they believed and experienced a God who could transform them, and they began to do something different. Listen, this is how I could end this sermon. Sometime this week, I want you to think about how God might want to transform you or your life. I'm not going to ask you that, to think about that this week. I want you right now in this moment to ask yourself the question, do I believe in God's transformation for me? Do I believe God can transform the world around me? Are my actions showing it? You might have to do something really intentional, really different, really unnatural. You may have to work for it, but you're definitely going to have to pray for it. And I don't want you to leave this room today without being committed to some kind of action that will show other people you absolutely and 110% believe in God's transformation.
It's why I'm standing here. Not because I believe this church might go gangbusters and have a thousand people, but because I believe that the people God has sent here right now have a purpose. We have a purpose to share God's love and redemption and transformation with a world desperate and hungry for it. Do you believe it? Are you ready to show it? Not tomorrow morning, not next Sunday when we talk about it again, right now, today. What's one thing you're going to do different today that shows the world you believe in a God who transforms and changes everything? Everything. Everything. Work for it today, right now. Pray for it today, right now. Will you pray with me It's the band comes up? God, I thank you for each and every person here today. I pray for their purpose, God, that you have given to them. I pray for the transforming work some of us need in our lives right now in this moment. We believe, God, that you are a God who transforms us, who makes us new and makes us different, and some of us need to know that grace and love in a real and life-changing way right this moment. And we pray for it. And, God, we ask you this morning to give us courage and boldness and intentionality to work for that purpose, your purpose, your good purpose, to come alive in the world no matter what it takes. Let the songs that we sing this morning, God, become prayers to you and action with our hands and our feet. Change us. Make us different this morning, God, and use us to transform the world. We believe you can do it, and we thank you for asking people like us to be a part of it. Amen.